1: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague Joe Healy, and we are here to preview Super Regionals. As we record this, it is June 9, Thursday. Super's uh, get underway tomorrow, starting starting tomorrow on uh, on Friday. Half the field starts on Friday. Half the field starts on Saturday. We're going to dive into all of that here on today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast uh we are coming at you twice a week throughout the postseason as we did during the regular season so if you're not subscribed already please subscribe uh, on favorite podcasting app be that apple podcast stitcher spotify uh, wherever you get your podcast hit that subscribe follow button whatever the the exact nomenclature is and uh we'll keep this going through omaha and uh then we'll get into the off season and we'll, we'll probably only be down to once a week but that is uh that's still a ways off. We, we got plenty of postseason baseball to go, still, Joe. And uh, this weekend, obviously, is a big one. And it's, uh, you know, some people prefer this weekend to uh, Omaha or, or to regionals, just the the drama, the three game series of it all. It's uh, super regionals is kind of a unique sit, uh, situation in college baseball.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the, still doing it on campus sites or, you know, home fields, I guess, some aren't on campus, I guess, in some years, but doing it on, on, Uh, non-neutral sites that there's something to that you know when I first started following college baseball it was my favorite weekend less maybe for that reason and just more because you know obviously I I grew up watching the college world series on ESPN and that was great and I still loved that but super regionals were a window into college baseball that I didn't get a lot I mean you're talking in 2004, 5, 6 when I first started really following the sport, regionals weren't on TV. We've talked about that a lot, but super regionals, most of them were. And so at that time. And so I got to see venues. That was the first time I saw Alex, you know, Alec Box Stadium on TV. Uh, that was the first time I saw, you know, pick whatever, you know, um, the games in Tallahassee and um, you know. Games in these other venues that were just famous across college baseball that I'd never seen before. I'd seen pictures on my computer or what have you, but it was just kind of a window into this thing that I loved that I didn't get to see during regionals. And so I got to see 16 teams playing, and in eight different sites that were all electric and and what have you. So you know, growing up, it was my favorite weekend for that reason. Like Omaha again was great, but it's its own deal, and it's eight teams, and you're you're getting great atmosphere, but it's different. It's not the home atmosphere, and so. I've always loved this weekend. That said, it is kind of a weird weekend just because regionals is chaos, right? I mean, you're playing in an, even a normal scenario without weather or what have you, you're playing two games a day at each site and it's kind of chaotic. And then you have, you know, tons of games every single day and you have to keep your head on a swivel and, you know, the teams that are really in it play at least through to Sunday and sometimes all the way through to Monday. Where Super Regionals is just a different animal. I mean, ask, well, you know, we'll talk about East Carolina this year, but ask East Carolina last year. I mean, they were in an early window on the first two days and they were eliminated before a lot of teams had even begun playing their Super Regional. And so it can go quick. If things get sideways on your team, like Super Regionals can be over in the blink of an eye. And then the turnaround to Omaha is really, really quick, especially this year with games starting on Friday instead of Saturday. So um, just a you know, it's a quick weekend. It's a fantastic weekend. It is, you know, historically was my favorite for the reasons that, that we've talked about. It is a, just a really unique uh, deal that college baseball has tucked in here between the chaos of regionals and kind of the, the old granddaddy of them all, if you will, in Omaha. No doubt
1: about that. And it is going to be a quick turnaround this year. That's uh that's very important to note that omaha begins on friday not on saturday the the schedule has been rearranged uh so it's it's going to be a fast turnaround from uh for these teams to get ready to uh to head out to omaha um, next week there is also other news going on around the sport um you know there's still coaching vacancies being created and some being filled and players moving in and out of the transfer portal and we're just going to have to take a pass on all of that we're going to again focus here on the games uh some of that stuff's covered over at baseballamerica.com and some of it's going to continue to be covered over there uh so if you're interested in some of that uh we, we do have it for you on the website uh but today on the podcast we are going to uh just focus on the games themselves and joe i think there's uh there's nothing else we really need to do so let's uh let's get into this here um, we're going to start with the supers that begin on Friday and let's take this, uh, let's take this path chronologically. So let's start, uh, in Greenville, you mentioned East Carolina, Joe, they are going to start super regionals again this year with the the noon window there. They're playing Texas, uh, and, uh, an interesting matchup here between the, the American champs and, uh, the preseason number one team in the Longhorns uh certainly going to be a big-time atmosphere in Greenville as the Pirates are seeking their first trip to Omaha. In that, uh, though, they are going to face a really difficult uh, challenger in uh, battle-tested, you know, the whole bit in, in Texas.
2: Yeah, you feel a little bit for, for East Carolina. This is a bit of a – I mean, there's no real easy matchups in Super Regionals. Like, yes, you you do occasionally – get some teams that make it through to super regionals that just aren't prepared and and just had a really good weekend and won a regional. Right. But for the most part, you're just not, there are no easy matchups. That being said, you know, we we've chronicled before that because ECU so often is hosting, you know, at a seed between nine and 16, they're very rarely playing home for supers This is their first hosted super since 2001. It's their first hosted super at Clark Leclerc. So they're they're kind of used to having to go on the road, and it always seems like they get drawn against some sort of juggernaut. And that's been a big deterrent to them being able to get to their first College World Series. This year they're at home. That's a huge advantage. The atmosphere we talked about on the the recap podcast for regionals is obviously off the charts good, but Texas is tough. I mean, this is a tough draw. It was a team that's obviously extremely talented. They were number one in the country to start the season for a reason. I got, you know, I did the anonymous coach breakdown. Uh, for Texas for the, the super regional previews that we're rolling out. And, and the coach I talked to said, you know, I talked to my assistant coach that breaks down the the video and, you know, the synergy data and all that stuff. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the ups and downs of the Texas pitching staff, but you know, the, the feedback he got was like, this is the most complete lineup we've seen all year. There's just no gaps in it. Yes, Melendez is is above and beyond. And I asked the coach simply, "Is there any way to get him out?" He just said no, and then moved on. <laughs> that was the end of the conversation. Um, they're really good offensively when they're going, and I think that's been an overlooked aspect of of their team is is how good that offense is from top to bottom. And are there nitpicks? Sure, you know, but still, it's just a really complete offense in the way they can they can beat you in a lot of different ways. And oh, by the way, I wrote about this the Big Twelve tournament. Texas, if Texas was going to get got, it might have to have been in regionals. Because the way they're pitching is set up, like Pete Hansen gives them a huge advantage in the first game. And then they feel pretty good about Lucas Gordon in that second game. And even and they beyond should, that, they it definitely absolutely should. should. Yeah. And, you know, also just when you look at the data, winning game one in a super, it goes out saying is obviously a huge leg up on winning a super. I mean, you have to lose two straight at that point. And it just seems like that's the thing that this Texas team is, um, it's going to be hard to do against this Texas team. So, you know, I would, you know, again, it's just, a you know, kind of ECU luck where they're, you know, they do host a super, but this wasn't a regional where, you know, Air Force came through that regional and, and comes to, to Greenville, you know, um, they're getting drawn with a team that probably is actually underseeded as the number nine national seed just because they went through that midseason lull where they just weren't as good.
1: So on the one hand, I get what we're saying with ECU in terms of like historically, like, oh, look at them, like they had to go through Vander, they would have had to go through Vanderbilt or this year they have to go through Texas. Like here's the thing though, everyone has to do that. It wasn't easy when UCSB had to go to Louisville and beat Brendan McKay. They did it though, you know, like, it's true for every team trying to break through like you're going to have to go through a power like rare is the time like it would have been weird frankly if if ecu had just like been able to get like davidson you know um that that is not the normal super regional path the normal super regional path is you have to go out and you have to be one of the blue bloods and uh you know this is an opportunity to do so um we'll see uh how well they handle it. Uh the the negative for Texas is that they are on the road. They are 13 and 9 on the road. They're 18 and 12. Would, obviously that's better. They're 18 and 12 away from Dish Falk, but just 13 and 9 in true road games. If you're ECU, like I think that's what you're hoping for here is that Texas still doesn't play very well away from home. Um, but I do feel like a lot of that, I, I just don't know how transferable that is. A lot of that was losses to Big 12 teams or to South Carolina. Um, are you, ECU, the kind of team that, that is going to be able to take advantage of that? Maybe. Maybe they are. But, uh, you know, the, the way ECU is set up to play, you know, a lot of bullpen games to mix and match, like that is an advantage and it can be an advantage. But I think its biggest advantage was last weekend uh, in the regional format in this weekend, trying to play it, you have to play it a little more straight up in some respects and they don't have anyone to match up with Pete Hansen. Like Mayhew is good. He's not, he's not that. And they don't have anyone really to match up with Lucas Gordon. Um, you know, and if it gets to Sunday, like neither of these teams has third starters, but at that point now you have to match with Texas. Like I, the, the there's just an awful lot being asked of ECU this weekend, and I don't want to discount what Bryson Warhol brings to the table, Jacobs Coward, and, and uh, Lane Hoover, and, and all the rest of the the really experienced, really talented guys in that offense. But uh, this is this is going to be a tall order.
2: Yeah, I mean, you saw in the regional, right? I mean, you say that if they, you know, East Carolina, their advantage came in the regional. And we saw that because they just got out that first regional final against Coastal. Um, they just got out pitched like Coastal had a guy, Nick Parker, that just went out and threw the ball really well. And like East Carolina just took it on the chin and was like, okay. And they came back out Monday and they had more to offer than Coastal did. And so I think that was exactly that advantage just playing out that they were able to, even withstanding that loss, which gave theoretically Coastal a day to reset pitching a little bit, and they still had the advantage. So you saw that. And and now, yeah, to your point, you have to play them a little more straight up. And whether or not they beat Hanson on Friday, they, they can't let him go complete game or something like, because I do think Texas, and this is something that the coach that I talked to for the anonymous scouting report said is it seems like they have found some things in the bullpen. Um, I agree. I tend to agree. I should say, however, like if you're ECU, you need to test that. Like, is that really true that you found some things or did you have find some guys who had a couple good weeks or what have you? Right. So in, in, in sometimes in low, um, you know, low leverage situations. Cause sometimes in the big 12 tournament, some of those guys were throwing in situations that weren't the highest leverage. And and I think some of that is being pointed to as evidence that Texas has found some things, maybe, maybe not. So if you're ECU, you really can't let the Longhorns go into game two with everybody still available. You need to try to get to some of it in game one, which, you know, Texas is going to ride with Hanson deep. There are very few scenarios I can imagine where Hanson's out of there in two or three innings but you can't just let him go eight or nine. Like there has to be some sort of medium answer there for ECU to get a look at a couple of guys.
1: I um I yeah, I, I think it's important that we don't take it as route that Pete Hansen is just gonna win on Friday. Like that is that is important to to do here because if if Hansen loses, uh, you know, things change for Texas. Like I would still feel good with Lucas Gordon with the season on the line. Uh, I, I'd feel good about him stepping up, but we are talking about. You know, a different situation at that point. So, vital, absolutely vital for Texas to win with Hanson and to just get this this thing over as soon as they possibly can. I would say, uh, ECU less important that they win on Friday. Still important, obviously, like you said, Joe. The odds are very much in your favor if you win game one. But of the two teams, I would feel better about you know ECU just being able to overcome an early loss and muck through the the next two games, use the the bullpen, the matchups to their advantage and uh, let their bats go to work. But um, I, I feel like for Texas the ending this this series as soon as possible is is to their to their best interest for sure. All right, let's move on. Um, at three o'clock on Friday uh, we are going to Blacksburg for Oklahoma and Virginia Tech. This uh, this is a fascinating matchup as well. You have Virginia Tech hosting a Super Regional. They've never been to a Super Regional even. And you have Oklahoma coming in very hot, having won the Gainesville Regional, having won the Big 12 tournament. Um, you know, they're very comfortable playing on the road, very clearly. They're going into one of the more offensive ballparks uh, that you'll find. Uh, the coach I talked to for the, uh, the the anonymous scouting report said that he likes he likens uh, English field to uh, to course field <laughs> that it's a place where fly balls become home runs and ground balls turn into doubles and triples uh, so that's that's the kind of offensive environment Oklahoma is walking into uh, are they going to be able to keep pace with Virginia Tech or is their pitching maybe going to be able to overcome that very powerful very potent Virginia Tech offense, which loves playing in that ballpark.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, this this has to me, this has three games like knockout drag out drama filled kind of ugly at times like this has that written all over it to me because I think both teams kind of go in. I think if you're Oklahoma, you, you, you maybe are pinning hopes a little more on Jake Bennett than Virginia Tech is anything else on its pitching staff. Um, but both teams, really, especially when, once you get past Bennett for Oklahoma, it's the same thing as Virginia Tech where they're they are not going to be shy about making a move. And for most of this year, Drew Hackenberg has been pretty steady, but at the ACC tournament and last week in a regional, uh, th- those weren't good starts. And um, you know, I think there might be concern about, you know, is, is he just at a point where he's not going to be the guy that we saw in April or March or what have you? And that would be reasonable. He's a freshman, right? He's got 90 innings on his arm this season that has to be far and away more than, than he's ever shouldered in a season. So, you know, I, so I think there is a little bit of concern about what you get there. And once you get past him, typically, um, you know, Griffin green's a nice arm, but it's, it's real bullpen heavy after that. And Oklahoma's kind of the same deal past Bennett. But again, you, you feel a little more confident about Bennett because this is kind of what he does. And it feels like he's running through the finish line a little bit more so than what, what Hackenberg has. But I just, I don't see any scenario where this isn't just winging haymakers back and forth, lots of runs put up. And, and I would be extremely surprised if one team or the other just controls this from start to finish when you combine like, yes, the Hokies have, the advantage of playing at home and they play well in their ballpark and they, they know how to win in that ballpark but Oklahoma is just playing well right now like they, they've been hot for really the last six or eight weeks at this point point. Um, and they're not going to have any real fear of going into into that kind of environment. I um,
1: I'm still waiting for someone to punch Virginia tech in the face. Like it just hasn't happened much this year. Georgia tech certainly did it on the opening weekend of ACC play, but really since then, Virginia tech has been kind of, uh, you know, they've been able to cruise a lot more. They haven't played so many tight series, the tight series that they have played. You know, they won the first two games, then lose the third game or something like that. So if Oklahoma state goes out there, if Jake Bennett goes out there and throws up like six zeros to start this, this super, what is virginia tech going to think um this is still a team that has very minimal postseason experience uh do they start playing tight at that point you know i that that's a big question and it's important for oklahoma then to put the pressure on them because uh you know virginia tech is going to feel some level of pressure playing at home in a super regional we see that all the time oklahoma can tell itself that it's playing freer like it, it, they've been playing free freer baseball for weeks now and Uh, They don't have the pressure. They're not, they're not expected to advance. They're not the nationally seeded team. Uh, So how, how does that get coached into them and and how do they use that to their advantage? At the same time though, Virginia tech is like, they're not so much built for this ballpark, but they, they very much understand it and they play to it very well. They play very well in it and, you know, they get the, you know, they understand how the, the, the field plays that, that, you know, if you hit the ball in the air, like you've got a shot and like how you need to defend all of this, and they're very comfortable at home and they're going to have plenty of fans there to cheer them on. So it is it is a big deal that that Virginia Tech is at home because I I think that's uh that's just become a very comfortable place for them.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I th- I think it's a good point you bring up about the pressure though, because I think this can happen. We talked about this before regionals, a team hosting for the first time or for the first time in a long time can really feel pressure in a regional, but I just think I obviously wasn't inside their locker room or their meeting rooms. And I'm sure it wasn't said explicitly, even if I was, but once Gonzaga lost to Columbia on the first day of that regional last weekend, and they knew that they were not, as long as they took care of business against Wright state, they were not going to see Gonzaga. I do think there was some element of realizing that, okay, we're just, we're going to be better than the other teams here, and they got a decent punch from Wright State right away. But for the most part, they just weren't all that challenged. For the I mean, they were the up weekend. five to
1: nothing by the time Wright State punched, for
2: sure. And they knew they it, were. It's not like they runs. fell
1: behind five to nothing, like they, right. Yeah, you know.
2: right. Yeah, I mean, Wright State was counter as much as anything else. But yeah, they. I mean, they just. I think they knew on a certain level that okay, we're just we're just better than these teams here, and like there is something about you can play free and easy when you kind of just have confidence that like okay, we're gonna you know you know, we're going to be okay here as long as we kind of play our game. We don't have to do anything special against Oklahoma. It's going to be a different deal though. Like they might have to find something new and, and extra. And I, I think the crowds there will be big. I think they'll be great. I wouldn't be surprised if they break some records there, which is like, from what I understand is like kind of wonky at Virginia tech, because so much of their seating is general admission because they actually don't have that many chairbacks. It's a There's lot a of, kind of
1: berm space. It's not even just a lot yeah, of berm areas. Yeah. Right.
2: And so, the counts are like wonky on that, I think. Um, so it's hard to know, like, that's what I understand there. And also, by the way, there was some fun, like it is a fun, beautiful place to watch a game. But because of that, it's also not the most imposing atmosphere, I would say, because it is so open that the sound doesn't really get trapped the way it does at some other places. Now, that could be because I was sitting in a press box. I'm not out there, but I walked around some too. And the sound just doesn't seem to trap as well because there is so much open seating and berm area and there's not like an overhang or like a shell that goes like all the way down the lines or anything like that. And the berm areas are also set back off the field a little bit. So um, that's kind of my impression. I, you know, that's one impression on one weekend. So, but I can guarantee you they're going to pack the place. Like I saw that, I saw that last weekend firsthand. Um, But there are probably more imposing places in terms of the way sound is treated than what they're going to, what Oklahoma is going to deal with this weekend.
1: I mean, here's the thing. Oklahoma three weeks ago was in Lubbock. Last weekend was in Gainesville. Like nothing, nothing's going to scare them at this point. So uh, I I don't, I don't worry about them from that standpoint. I don't really even worry about them from a like, Oh, this place plays like Homer happy. Like I get, they were in Lubbock (laughs) three weeks ago and they won a series there. So I, I think that, I mean, this Oklahoma team is just playing so well right now, playing so hot. Like, this is, I think you're right, this game has three games written all over it, and we'll see who who shows out. Uh, the teams are relatively similarly built, and, you know, how is that going to play out, and, and all the rest of it. But I don't think Oklahoma is going to be overwhelmed here in, in any way. Um, and they're going to be, they're absolutely going to be game to, to try and go punch for punch with, uh, with Virginia Tech, which should make this one of the more, uh, fun supers of, of the weekend, I think. Yeah, I agree. The The fun factor
2: on this one is is kind of through the roof. It's one of my, my picks for being just a ton of fun from start to finish.
1: All right, let's go to another one that has a very high fun factor, as, uh, as Joe said there. Uh, that is Notre Dame heading to Knoxville. Uh, they're going to play Tennessee at 630 on Friday. And uh, this is the one – the one versus the 16 slot now obviously notre dame did not host last week at six not 6 30 excuse me um notre dame a lot has been made of the fact that they probably should have hosted didn't host go out and sweep through that statesboro regional and now get rewarded by having to go play tennessee last year they had to play in starkville this year it's knoxville um what that does mean though is that because so much of this team played in Starkville a year ago, they're not going to be scared by anything Lindsey Nelson has to throw at them. Now, the coaches I talked to this week said, like, look, Knoxville is just different than Starkville. Like, nothing against the atmosphere at Mississippi State. It's amazing. But those fans are there to like they're very knowledgeable baseball fans. They really enjoy baseball. They will applaud you if they if you do something well, like the you know, the, the lounge, the folks in the lounge will get on your outfielders, but like, they'll also feed them, you know, it's, it's that kind of environment. In Knoxville, it's just rowdy. And so it's, uh, it's a different experience. Uh, but I, you know, this is a Notre Dame team that has experienced an SEC road super regional already. So I do think that helps them a lot. Um, I think they're uniquely built in some ways to challenge Tennessee. Uh, it's just going to be, are they able to, uh, to stand up to the, the incredible talent that the Tennessee is throwing at every team this year.
2: First off, shout out to the lawn guys. The HOA has come periodically, like clockwork. Here they are. So if you hear a little lawn mowing in the background, some leaf blower action, something like that, I, I find it to be good ambient. You know, ambiance. It reminds me that it's a you know good time of year. The weather's nice and sunny and all that jazz. But uh, not great audio necessarily. So my apologies if you catch some of that in the background. I agree with all you said there. Like I, I don't. There is something different about the crowds? I've been in Knoxville plenty the last couple of years. I was there for Super Regional last year. I was there for a series Easter weekend against Alabama this year. And they yeah, those crowds they are on a different level. And I think in some ways, like they are desperately in Knoxville trying to build out that stadium to shove more people in there because they could sell what three, four times as many tickets as they're currently selling, probably. However, I will say kind of the opposite of the situation at English Field and Blacksburg, I think. Is kind of what you see in Knoxville where like it's a smaller capacity and the people are just stacked on top of each other that are then stacked on the field, almost like leaning on the field, basically. So like I do think that is an imposing atmosphere in a way that's a lot of places that are bigger just aren't because of how compact it is. So I think that plays into their advantage. I don't know, like talent-wise, like how Notre Dame, like we would have to sit here and kind of like concoct scenarios where where Notre Dame wins it. We'll have to figure out a path and maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But what I will say is. I don't, maybe they just get outplayed this weekend. Notre Dame does. That's possible, right? Tennessee's really good. Like that could happen. But I do, I, I don't have a lot of doubt about Notre Dame coming out and being ready to play. And like they don't, it's obviously expressed in a different way than what Tennessee does. Tennessee very much puts it on Front Street, but Notre Dame's got sharp elbows too. Like they're, they have a little bit of an edge. Um, you know, their head coach, Link Jarrett has a little bit of an edge to him. Like th- they are kind of dirtbag type of players. And of course I mean that in the, the positive baseball sense. So I don't, I actually don't have a lot of doubt about them coming ready to play and them being ready to swing metaphorically or perhaps literally maybe um, <laughs> metaphorically with Tennessee. Um, it's just a matter of if they're going to be able to get the right path to actually beat Tennessee. Cause that's a whole different deal.
1: Uh, The thing about Tennessee right now is they are playing so confidently. Like they have no idea that they could even lose a game like that. And that really, I think that matters. That matters in the postseason. However, when was the last time Tennessee got punched even a little bit? Like it just, it hasn't happened. And like, you could say like, well, they were down to Georgia tech going into the ninth inning. Like, yeah, they were, I guess, but um, Also, the Georgia Tech bullpen is not something to be feared. I I just, if you're looking for a path, I think there are two paths for Notre Dame. One is that they punch Tennessee early, and Tennessee plays tight, and Tennessee loses. Um, That I think basically is what happened to Arkansas a year ago, that they won on Friday. They blew the doors off North Carolina State. I think that they probably thought at that point, all right, we're done. We're in Omaha already. And then NC state was like, well, wait, not, not so fast. Like we, (laughs) we played dead at the end of that game and we threw nobody and like, we still have some stuff for you. And then they punched on Saturday and Arkansas was like, wait, what, we're not, we, we have to keep playing this out. I thought we were in Omaha already. And then it was too late. And then what happened in the, in game three happened. Um, so I think maybe there's a scenario where something like that happens, like maybe not, maybe it doesn't include Notre Dame losing by 15 runs in game one, but you know, something where Tennessee feels like they're already, like it's, they're looking past this in some way and then Notre Dame shows up and Tennessee's not able to to adjust fast enough and before they know it, they've lost uh, and then they're playing tight in game three or game two you know maybe maybe something like that happens that that's one scenario scenario two is that john michael bertrand has to throw on saturday this week because of the way uh the regional went that he started on friday got an inning in and then the rain came so he couldn't come back on friday they brought him back on sunday to throw in the regional final so he now is not going to be ready to go on friday he'll probably have to go on saturday now, that's a scenario that Notre Dame's very familiar with. He pitched mostly on Saturdays last season. And there's nothing wrong with having your best guy in game two, either trying to send you to Omaha or saving your season and forcing a game three. And so I think that's a big deal here, that if if they do do it that way, that Bertrand can pitch on Saturday. And that allows, if they can just get length out of John Michael Bertrand, and if they don't get length out of him, they're probably not winning this Super Regional anyway. But if they get length out of him... They plan on getting length out of him. Then on Friday they can bullpen it a lot. And on Saturday or on, on Sunday, they can bullpen it a lot. And they have a lot of options. They're very good at mixing and matching, whether that's getting one guy through the order once or playing right and left after a guy gives them five. You know, they, they have a lot of different ways they can manipulate this pitching staff. And so I think that's the key here is that they just throw the kitchen sink at Tennessee and maybe that's too much for the vols. And meanwhile, Bertrand lulls them to sleep in, in his start. Yep.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I, I think one of the the tough things about Tennessee too, is that they, they play such an emotional brand of baseball and, you know, Tony Vitello likes to say that they have a, a team motto of play with emotion, but don't play emotional, which is, you know, I'm sure gets Snickers across the country. Cause if like, if that's, if what they're doing is not playing emotional, I would shudder to think of what them playing emotional looks like. Um, but one thing with teams that play like that, that tend to be high-strung and high-energy and just have their foot on the gas the entire time, is sometimes they can get wrapped up in that and they can get angry at a, at a at a botched call in the field or they can get angry at the opponent, you know, flipping a bat or hitting a batter or whatever. And they've done plenty of that this year. And then sometimes that gets teams off of their game a little bit, but that just seems to make them angry. And so, like the teams that play emotional tend to have that weakness, which is like. When the emotion is positive and everything is one way traffic going in one direction, that emotion just kind of feeds on itself and can send a team off soaring into the sky. But then if it starts to become negative emotion, like it tends to go the other way, but with tend to see like, it doesn't seem to matter. Like they, anytime they get fired up like that, whether positive or negative, it tends to actually just kind of help them. So that, that does take one scenario off the table that I feel like in a lot of other scenarios with teams like this, that that would be a possibility. I just, I don't see that one happening and Notre Dame is probably not the team to give them that, but um, that, that is one thing that is I think unique about this specific team.
1: I, I will give you a third way that notre dame is potentially positioned to to challenge uh tennessee here and that's notre dame can run and like that's very fully a part of their offense to play aggressive baseball where they run the bases a lot they can you know hit and run they can do some slashing they can do all that kind of stuff tennessee plays really sound defense um I'm sure they'd be ready for bunts if it happens, but this is not a team that's good at stopping the running game once guys are on base and. If Notre Dame senses that they have an advantage there, I would fully expect them to push it and. You know if you're going to start stealing runs like we're talking about the best pitching staff in the country, you're going to have to do something special to beat them on some level. Maybe that's a way that they can they can do it. Not a whole lot of teams have been able to exploit it because you have to get runners on base to do it. But if you do get runners on base, uh Tennessee is not very good at stopping them from moving around out there.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. I- I've actually been surprised that to your point, I mean, you have to get guys on base to really make that effective, but based on what I saw like in it, it, it when they played at Minimate and there wasn't any where Baylor stole six bases on them, and it's a, a big reason why Baylor played them close for the first few innings and what was a game that eventually was not close. But I, you know, I I saw that and thought, Oh boy, when they get an SEC play like this, because at the time we, we knew that we thought Baylor was better than they ended up being, obviously, but uh, you know, they were obvious, there were any number of SEC teams that were better able to exploit that than Baylor should be. So I kind of thought like, this seems like it's going to be a real problem. And then it really wasn't, you know, like, I mean, yes, when the team's able to do it, they're effective, but like, Clearly, it has not slowed them down. So that is, that is something to watch as we do get into a period of the year where every team they're facing is good, and the book is very much out on them, and we'll we'll have to see, we'll have to see if anybody can take advantage. But Notre, you're right, just with the style that Notre Dame wants to play. Now, they don't have eye-popping stolen base numbers necessarily, but they are a team that just by design wants to play that way.
1: All right. Now, having said all of that, Tennessee is certainly – the prohibitive favorite here you know (laughs) they are the number one team in the country for a reason so i I don't want to like make this out as like i'm like finding all these ways that notre dame's gonna win like i'm just letting you know like that this is how they win if they win
2: well i mean that's the most interesting part of the super regional right it's not that we're giving short shrift to tennessee i mean we've talked about tennessee a ton this year for for good reason but like that's what's interesting about this super regional is like what are the ways in which notre dame can actually pull this off that that's and that just shows how good tennessee is it's not that we are not wanting to talk about them it's just that like we're having to kind of like stretch to figure out the way the the way in which a team could actually beat them on their home field indeed
1: all right one more here on friday that is louisville heading down to texas a and m so the uh the cardinals here uh they uh they get through their home home super their home regional they're back on the road here uh it's not a place they love playing college station is really difficult At the same time, though, some of the same things I said about Notre Dame, the way that the aggressive style, like the, uh, they're not going to be intimidated, all the rest of that, that should play well for them here in College Station, but um, this is going to be a tough, tough one for the Cardinals, I think.
2: I think so, too. I think one of the things you can say for Louisville in this situation is that I think this is where Program history and kind of—I hate to use this word because I—I I roll my eyes at it—but program culture can kind of matter. I mean, I look at Arkansas last weekend where they're just playing so poorly going into regionals, and they go into Stillwater and you know and win that regional, and it wasn't pretty, but they figured it out. Like, I think that's a situation where program culture and, and program history can play a part. And Louisville's in a similar situation where things didn't go perfect last weekend, but they were at home and they figured it out. And all season, it kind of feels like they've been teetering on the edge of like, is this team really good? Just kind of good. Is it like not a great team that's kind of masquerading as a good team? Like we've kind of thought that at various points for Louisville, but they're here now and they just, they are a couple of games from Omaha and yes, it's a tough task to go on the road and do this, but at the risk of being super, you know, cliche filled here, like I, I do just wonder if this is a situation where the program culture is such that they're going to end up finding a way to get this done.
1: It's gonna be hot in college station this weekend. I'm sure the ball is gonna be flying. That is not good news for AM because uh Louisville has as good offense as anyone in the country. Um, there's gonna be a lot on AM to find a way to slow them down, whether that's you know, starters in Detmer and uh in Dallas, or whether that's a healthy dose of Jacob Palish. I'm sure it'll be a healthy dose of Jacob Palish and Will Johnston, but like I is are they going to have the arms needed to uh to slow louisville down i they have the bats to hate to hang with with louisville as well but i i do think some ways like a&m at some point is going to have to stop louisville from scoring if they're going to win this
2: no i think that's right and that's that's the that's the tough piece there it you know it, they speaking of kitchen sinks i mean that's kind of what a&m is going to be trying to do here. And and you know, they they found some things along the way and they found some things and then lost them, it seems like along the way. It's been a real roller coaster on the mound for them, but they're another team that just kind of continues to to find a way and, and win. But you just, you know, you know, you do wonder if there's just that DNA with Louisville that ends up mattering here more so than AM. A, a team that's been very successful this year, but ultimately this is a, a pretty new team as far as being together. There's a lot of postseason experience with guys like Micah Dallas and Jacob Palish from other programs. Um, but how much does that matter with a team that hasn't been together the way Louisville has? And I think, well, the reason I'm kind of grasping for ethereal stuff like this is this does feel like a very evenly matched super regional. So,
1: um, the high temperature in college station on Saturday and Sunday is one Oh four. Yeah. It's uh, brutal. At this, they're playing at night, uh, on Friday. They haven't announced Sunday's game time. And I'm looking at Saturday's game time. Oh, it's three o'clock. At three Oof. o'clock on Saturday and college station one Oh one. So yikes. Um, I don't know who that like advantages at all. Probably nobody, but, uh, like bring your water. If you're going to this game, like get, get hydrated before you go to this game Yeah. or, or get secure an IV pack for post game.
2: No kidding. Yeah. I mean, it advantages the team that has to spend the least amount of time standing out on the field.
1: <laughs> yikes. Uh, yeah. So, the ball's going to fly there ultimately is, is, is the thing here. And I like AM's pitching more than I like Louisville's pitching. So I think that's going to be what carries them through. But I, 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 do think you're right. Like Dan McDonald really knows what he's doing here. Louisville's not going to just sit, sit around and be happy with going to super regionals. They're, they're going to expect more. So uh,
3: very intriguing weekend on tap here in college station. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: All right. Let's go on to the supers that start on Saturday and that set will begin. Well, all supers on Saturday will begin at 11 AM. We got a little, little breakfast, baseball, brunch, baseball, I guess uh, action happening in Chapel Hill. You got Arkansas, you got UNC. First of all, I don't know why this game got the 11 o'clock treatment, but you know, whatever Um, they, uh, they are on big ESPN and this is a very intriguing one. You have Arkansas coming off of that series or that the regional win in Oklahoma state, they were a trendy pick to do it. I think they were probably a trendy pick to make it to Omaha period. Um, And they now have to go into UNC, a team that has been playing very well for three weeks. They started the season incredibly well. They finished it very well. The middle, it was a little soft, uh, but if you overlook that, I mean, there's there's a lot to like about this UNC team, and they do have home field advantage. Um, I, I this uh, this feels pretty wide open to me.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think Carolina being at home kind of helps tilt the scale in that direction to the to an extent, just because I mean, look, this Arkansas team, 18 and 12 teams in the SEC, like out of context, right? 18 and 12 teams in the SEC typically first of all, aren't a two seed in a regional and are often hosting super regionals. So rare is kind of the time where you're, you know, an ACC team that was 500 hosting a super regional against an SEC team that went 18 and 12. So like, while Arkansas looked bad at times, frankly, down the stretch, never more so than in the SEC tournament, I suppose. uh, You know, this is still a team that kind of, we were talking a lot this season about how they kind of kept finding ways to to win and, and figuring it out. And I think, yes, it was an extremely offensive environment last weekend in Stillwater. I think that was, we knew that was coming. That was kind of always going to be the case. Also, just based on the fact that if we assume they were going to come into contact with Oklahoma State late in the weekend, I just think we know what the personnel being what it is, that that's what it was going to be. But I think you have to like the strides you saw offensively last weekend from Arkansas after coming off a tough couple of weeks offensively um they seem to be a lot more in sync last weekend they were getting the kind of clutch hits that they really hadn't been getting uh at various points in the regular season and you know whether you that's just good news whether you think that's transferable or not you know i I don't know but certainly you have to like what you see there based on you know coming off of a couple of weeks where they were just really kind of stuck in the mud arkansas just 13
1: and 12 this season away from fayetteville so if you're unc you're feeling great about that number unc is Excellent in the Bosch. I don't actually have their their home numbers, uh, but uh, I know they're very good in the Bosch. So that is important, uh, and they are certainly playing very well, having won the ACC tournament. And uh, yeah, they needed to come through the losers bracket uh, last weekend, but they they did that just fine. This is a team that's won forty two games overall. They're thirty three and seven at home. Um, there's a lot to like there. I think that I just. If you if you go through and you match these two teams up like position for position, you just don't know how often you're going to be like, yep, UNC has the advantage here. Like Vance Honeycutt, yes, definitely, definitely better than um whatever you're throwing up against uh, against him from Arkansas, probably. But beyond that, there aren't a whole lot of spots where I would say definitively like, yeah, UNC is better. I like their bullpen better. Um, but is that is that enough of an advantage here? I don't know. Um, we'll, uh, we'll have to see on that, but do you, I, I guess some of this comes down to like, do you believe that Arkansas found something last weekend or not? Because, you know, just because they have, you know, players like Caden Wallace and Robert Moore who are drafted very highly, doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, better than Danny Surrett, who, you know, is just a very experienced, very solid college baseball player.
2: Yeah, I think I like the totality of Arkansas's offense better than UNC's. Now, I like individual pieces for UNC. Like, to your point, I definitely like Honeycutt more than I like any individual in Arkansas's lineup. I mean, that's just, that's a different type of player. And Arkansas has had plenty of those guys before. It's not like that is alien to them. But I mean, Honeycutt's a guy who went through a stretch where he was struggling, yes. And as it turns out, you know, um, after covering them for a weekend, you find out, you know, talking to Scott Forbes just about like, the type of overhaul he was doing to his swing in the middle of the season, but when he was getting beaten by velocity to really kind of change that on the fly during the season is impressive. And now he's swinging about better, but he can hit the ball out of the ballpark. He can steal bases. It's like a, you know, plus power plus run tool kind of guy. And those are pretty rare. And I, I like him more than I like anybody for Arkansas. I might, you know, Danny ready also in that mix to your point, like really accomplished college player who's playing really well right now, you know, Angel Zarate is kind of in that same mold, but the totality of, of what Arkansas has, I like, even if I don't like an individual more than I like the individuals that, that UNC has. I think there's also something to be said on the mound. I think it was a return to form for Connor Noland, and, and yes, it was Grand Canyon, uh, who is a, a good team, a good offense, not a great offense. But still, I mean, that was a return to form for him after I kind of came into the postseason wondering if he was just on this kind of slide that would lead to eventually them having to maybe figure something out or just kind of be super ready to pull the, the pull the ripcord on his start, and he really gave them what they needed to start the regional last weekend. I think there's a little bit of similarity there with maybe Brandon Schaefer. You know, Schaefer has been a little more up and down as opposed to Nolan was great early and then tailed off, but you know, Schaefer's done some things recently, including throwing a shutout against Virginia Tech and Charlotte, um, but he was good against Florida State and Wake Forest a couple of weeks before that. You know, he's had good starts earlier in the season as well. Like, I think those two guys now, we'll have to see what UNC does with his pitching. I'm, I'm sure the matchups are out. I've just not seen them, but those two guys feel pretty similar. And then after that, I think it's going to be a lot of, a lot of bullpen game here when you consider that UNC tends to give Max Carlson shorter, shorter starts. And, you know, Arkansas is a lot more unsteady after you get past Nolan as well.
1: Yeah. UNC's whole thing is getting into the bullpen and letting those guys work more than, you know, getting seven innings out of their starters. That that's not even what they're looking for. And Scott Forbes is very adept at knowing when to get into the bullpen and which bullpen pieces to, to pull the trigger on, uh, which, which feels like an advantage here Uh, just the, they have that kind of bullpen that they can work with Um, particularly because it, it might be one thing if Arkansas was running out an outstanding rotation, but they're not, you know, they're also working with a lot of bullpen pieces. They have good players in the, in the rotation, but it's not like Jackson Wiggins and Connor Noland and, you know, they're, they're not, they're not seven inning guys either. So I I think I might you know, like UNC's bullpen more and, and that that's a, a nice advantage for them. Um, I don't know. It, it, th- this one is going to be interesting. I, I think that the, they're pretty well-matched teams. I think their team's kind of going about it in similar ways. Uh, it's it's a very intriguing series for me in, uh, in Chapel Hill with, uh, you know, two teams that know an awful lot about winning and going to Omaha there's not a ton of omaha experience on this unc roster or or the arkansas roster but these are two teams that have been to omaha very recently in 2019
2: yeah I, I i'm with you i mean there are a lot of matchups in these this super regional round that i just don't have a great feel for this might be chief among them though because I, i'm having a hard time i'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that this north carolina team might be one of the actually one of the best teams In the country, because even even though I knew that they'd been playing better, like now we're talking like this could be a team that if you get to Omaha, by definition, you are playing for national title. Like I've had a hard time getting my mind there. And it's kind of a similar deal with Arkansas, where it's just. I've in my heart of hearts thought this team is is better than what they've been playing like this team is better than what we've seen. And they've shown flashes and last weekend, I guess you could consider that a flash. Um, they essentially just won two out of three against, won a series against Oklahoma State at the, in the back half of that regional. But, and yet they, they've they just had these like weird moments where they just kind of go, they, they just kind of fall real flat. And we saw a lot of that at the end of the season. So these are two teams that I feel like I'm probably overselling what Arkansas is on aggregate, and I'm probably underselling what North Carolina is on balance. And they're kind of meeting the middle to a situation where I can't, I really don't have my finger on what's going to happen here at all to the extent I do any of them, but this one in particular is tough for me.
1: Well, having said that, let's go to the Magnolia State. <laughs> um, we've got Southern Miss hosting Super Regional for the first time ever, and they get to welcome in Old Miss. Um, this place is gonna be insane. Uh, I did have somebody that I commented that to at some point this week say, like, well, can it be any? crazier than it was with lsu in the joint and like look probably no but it's a super regional it's an in-state super regional um mississippi interestingly enough nick sus tweeted this uh covers ole miss for the clarion ledger i think it was that mississippi is now the eighth state uh to host a completely in-state super regional um california has done it more often or texas has done it more often than anyone else uh and now Mississippi joins that list with this Southern Miss Ole Miss uh, super. Southern Miss, the Conference USA champs, they pitch at an incredibly high level. Uh, Ole Miss coming in, playing very freely, playing very well over the last few weeks, especially last week uh, in Coral Gables, sweeping through that regional. Uh, They are trying to go from last four in to Omaha, uh, which we've certainly seen done before. Uh, But this, uh, This one's going to be a fun one there at Pete Taylor Park.
2: Yeah. Fun factor on this one. High for, I mean, almost sure. The baseball. Yes. But also just kind of reasons outside of that, the atmosphere, what it means in the state of Mississippi, this being a celebration of college baseball in the state of Mississippi, which I've had this conversation with people who coach in and out in and out of the state that like per capita, like pound for pound, I guess is maybe the better way to put it, but like pound for pound, Mississippi loves college baseball you can probably have that conversation with maybe louisiana but those two states right there when you when you throw in the third you know big brand of southern miss in college baseball like that makes it tough to 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 have a hand better than that one in terms of a state loving college baseball more than mississippi regardless it should be a lot of fun this weekend i don't mean to oversimplify it but i feel like it comes down to if you look at these box scores like if you were to fall asleep friday afternoon and then wake up you know, Sunday night, or I guess this a Saturday start. So if you fall asleep Saturday afternoon, you wake up Monday. Like, first of all, I feel bad for you because you missed a lot of baseball. But secondly, if you look at these box scores after the fact, and they look like normal baseball games, probably good news for Southern Miss because they really are going to want to stick to, we're going to start Hall and then we're going to start Waldrip, And then we're going to start Riggins and the bullpen. We're going to go to Rogers and Ramsey and Stewart and Harper and then if we really have to, we can give it to Justin Storm or a couple of other guys. But we want this to look like a normal baseball game, and we want it to be six to three, and not twelve to ten. Now, I think Southern Miss's offense has maybe been a little bit undervalued because I do think, yes, they don't have like they've got some guys who can hit the ball at the ballpark. They don't have any superstars here, but they also don't really have any super duper soft spots in the lineup. It's all guys who either a hit for a high average or B, can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Now, those guys have holes in their swings typically, but their guys tend to give you at least one or the other. So I do think there's maybe a little undervalue of the USM lineup, but generally speaking, they're going to win this super if they stay on course pitching-wise. And again, I don't want to oversimplify it, but to me, that is the simplest way to distill down what USM is looking to do this weekend. I hear you,
1: but like Dylan DeLucia and Hunter Elliott sure seem like they've found something. And they both pitched quite well in Coral Gables last weekend against Arizona and Miami. You know, they did they never saw the four seed in that regional. Um they had very talented offenses to work with uh on, on the opposing dugouts, and Delucia and Elliot were absolutely up for it. I don't think they're not gonna be up for it this weekend. Um yeah, I,
2: I, I was just gonna say like I but before you move on, I think I think we're actually saying a little bit of the same thing here, and maybe I should have been a little more clear because I think Ole Miss can also win those types of games. I just don't think Southern Miss has much of a shot if these games get ugly. Like, I guess that's more of what I'm saying is like I don't don't think they can. If Ole Miss is going to really swing it, like I think that's problematic to a degree more than Ole Miss trying to win pitching centric games. So I think, okay, that's, yes, that's I am on is. board with
1: that. Yeah, that if if Ole Miss is able to blast the Southern Miss pitching staff, that it's probably. Not like I I would feel very comfortable saying that's not going to work out for Southern Miss. But if Southern Miss plays its game, Ole Miss has a chance now. Like a few weeks ago, a month ago, we we would have said, well, that's (laughs) there's no way they have to win uh, with their offense. But the way that they've been able to find some things uh, on the mound does make me feel like they are prepared to play Southern Miss's game if uh, if that's what it comes to. This is the one super that like i have mild weather concerns about but it's really just on day one uh so hopefully they're able to to clear that out and um play the rest of the regional or even play that game uninterrupted whatever but um that's also good news for for these teams because they probably especially for Ole miss Ole miss has a pretty narrow path i would say on the mound that they want to stick to uh they have some other guys but if um you know, they obviously dealt with a weather-adjusted regional last, last week, but they did it by – they never started and stopped, and they were in the winner's bracket the whole way. So it, they, they don't want to get into a situation where they have to burn some pitchers and rain delays and all the rest of that. But the more they can stay on schedule, the better off they're going
2: to be, I feel like. Ole deserves a lot of credit this season. It's been said before. It's not a unique thought to me. but. It's been said, I'm sure, by one of us in this podcast. It's been said by those who cover the, the the team locally, but I think they deserve a lot of credit for just kind of figuring it out in the mound. Because look, this was this was a team going into the season where we were talking about this is going to be a stat. Now we we always knew that the mound was a more precarious in a more precarious spot than the lineup was, but we thought this was going to be a Derek Diamond, Drew McDaniel, Jack Doherty um, kind of thing, and and John Gaddis, I guess, was put in that, that role early at least, but it hasn't been those guys. Like, I mean, they still – Diamond is still getting innings, but we, we, I think we're able to more accurately know what he is and isn't on the mound. And now, to your point, it's like Delucian and Hunter Elliott are the guys here. And they've pivoted to that, and they're leaning into it now, and they're not, you know, not being – Uh, how do I put this? Like, I think it can go two ways. You can be overly prideful about it and just be like, well, these are the guys that we think should be leading this pitching staff right now. So we're going to keep running them out there. Or I think there's a way in which it's, um, a coach looking at it as like, look, these are the guys that I, 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 you know, I, I trust. These are the guys that I think should be in these roles. Like these are the leaders I want. And so there can be a temptation to run those guys back out there when really you've got other guys who are better. And Ole Miss was able to just pivot and give those guys the innings they needed to get, and they they've really figured it out, and that's obviously been you know been key for that they would not be here without pivoting to a different pitching plan than the one they had, and I think um, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that because it's a coaching staff that look I, we don't have to you know <laughs> you don't have to be experts in what's going on there to understand that's a coaching staff it's been under a lot of pressure this year um and to be able to, to pivot like that and just try some different things when there was probably a little bit of a temptation to just think that the guys who you thought were going to be your guys were going to eventually be your guys and instead they've been able to do something different and that deserves that deserves some credit i think
1: this weekend one like absolute legend for his school is gonna see his career end tim elko or uh gabe montenegro uh, those guys have both Done incredible things over the course of their careers. K. Montenegro in his sixth season at Southern Miss, uh, Elko in his fifth at at, uh, at Ole Miss. He's the Ole Miss uh, home runs leader, and I think Montenegro is the owns the hits record at, at Southern Miss. I had two guys that have just played a ton of baseball for their programs, and unfortunately, this weekend is going to see the the end of one of their careers. And um, you know, I, Montenegro just has not gotten enough attention nationally throughout his career I would say uh, obviously I'm partially responsible for that but uh he uh he's deserving in the same way that Elko's deserving of the the praise that that's gonna he- be heaped on them when uh when their careers do come to an end whether it's this weekend or or in a week or
2: two. yeah good, good call on that. they're also they have in common that they're both gamers like Elko with his knee injury like we're obviously well aware of that story at this point. Uh, Gabe Montenegro earlier this year got hit in the face with a pitch and like from, from the reports locally, like very much wanted to be back in the lineup, like the next day, um, ended up having to take some games off. But I think I remember this being true that he was, they were thinking he'd be out like a couple of weeks. And I think he missed just like a few days. So, Um, just a couple of gamers who like clearly, in addition to being really productive players have also just poured their heart and soul into doing everything they can for the program. So, uh, good, good shout out there because that was something I had not considered.
1: All right, let's go out West. Uh, these last two supers both begin at 10 30 on Sunday. So at least I I would, I would venture a guess that somebody's season will have ended by the time that these two supers tee it up there. Uh, let's start in Corvallis. It's Auburn and Oregon State. For me, this one uh, feels as wide open as any. Oregon State has been a little shaky over the last month or so. They are the number three overall national seed. Uh, Auburn, however, just scored 51 runs in their regional. Uh, comes in with a bit ahead of steam. Uh, they, they do seem like they corrected a little bit of a uh, – Things just did not, they did not finish down the stretch. They didn't run through the tape the last weekend of the SEC season and then into the SEC tournament. Uh, they struggled with Kentucky there, uh, but they, they sure looked very, very good in their home regional. And now they have to go across the country, and that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, they're going to go into an environment in Corvallis, which is not an easy environment to play in, even for an SEC school. Uh, and they do play a very, very talented Oregon State team, and have to get this started against probably the best starting pitcher in the country in Cooper Turpin.
2: Yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see Auburn in this spot. They're another team that it's been tough to get a read on this year. Well, not I, I shouldn't say that because I think you and I are both confident this team is good, and we've we've the ranking has reflected that because we had a lot of opportunities late in the regular season to dump them from the rankings because they lost a series, but we just had a good amount of conviction that this team the team was actually good um and so all year it kind of feels like we've been struggling to get them properly ranked and when you look at their week by week it kind of makes some sense right because their first sec series they lose to Ole miss and we're like okay well that makes sense because the time Ole miss is you know one of the best teams in the country like clearly and then they and let's meet, also they not have,
1: forget that they lost to middle tennessee state in non-conference play
2: indeed yes the next weekend they beat AM and we are like, okay, well, what does that mean? It's just A&M, you know? Um, so like that happened early and then late they catch some really, really good teams, you know, Tennessee and, and Arkansas and, and what have you. And then we're, we're kind of like, okay, well, sure. But they're going to lose to those teams because we're, we shouldn't expect them to beat those teams, you know, like, and so it's just been, it's been a hard team to kind of get properly slotted this year for a number of different reasons, but I, I'm fascinated to see what they can do this week in the matchup with, with jerpy is, um, is going to be really, really good. And, and beyond that, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see Oregon state on the mound beyond jerpy. I mean, these are some, uh, some big spots for a guy like Jacob Kamats, who is a freshman and has been pretty good on the hole this year, but was not particularly good in the regional and Jake Finnings that is good, but also hasn't thrown that many innings this year. And uh, so I think that, Auburn could stress test this Oregon state pitching staff, which I think we've kind of just like, yes, jerpy is what he is. Like I'm not going to take a a single thing away from him, but beyond him, I think we've kind of made an assumption that this pitching staff is going in the right direction and building and building. And I think the pieces are good. I think this is just going to be a particularly difficult challenge for them. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Auburn offense ends up just being too overwhelming for a freshman like Kamats, maybe or a guy like Finnigs that just isn't as stretched out as other guys. And, and frankly has had some struggles with control since he's, he's been back and the bullpen pieces can sometimes kind of come and go with, you know, they trust Ben Ferrer, but beyond that, like, who do you, you know, read Sebi, I guess, but you know, I don't know. Like, I, I just think there are some questions on this pitching staff that I did not anticipate having like a month ago And this Auburn offense showed us last weekend that look, if you've got some questions about that unit on your team, like you need to proceed with caution the
1: thing is i have just as many questions about the auburn pitching staff um they didn't have to answer them a week ago uh in part because of the draw in part because the offense was so good but oregon state can swing the bats oregon state's going to put pressure on you in a way that auburn just is not used to and i'll be interested to see how they respond but you know, for all the talk about like, Oh, look at, they scored 51 runs in this, in this regional. That's gave up 18 and, you know, they gave up seven to a Florida state team. That's not known for being super offensive. They go up seven in the, to a number four seed in Southeastern. Um, so I, if they're going to score 50 runs again, obviously this is not going to be an issue, but, I I do think that Oregon state is going to be looking at this pitching staff and thinking, well, we can get, we can get these guys and, you know, we have the advantage on the mound because we have Jerpy. They don't have, they don't have that guy. Um, so I, I, I do think that maybe this sets up a little better for Oregon state than last weekend did even, um, you know, last weekend it set up reasonably well for them and they certainly efforted in their own ways. Uh, they lost a game to begin with. And they also lost their, um, you know, got, got taken to extra innings by New Mexico state. So it, it's not like it was all hunky dory out there, but I, I overlook the, the Oregon state offense at your own, own risk here. If this becomes a very offensive regional, like, I think it could go either way.
2: I think that's right. And I think it, you know, th- there's been lots of, praise rightfully so heaped on butch thompson with this auburn team and the funny thing is like we talk about the questions they have on the mound and i think there's an alternate scenario where if they just kind of stay healthier at at points along the way that that didn't stress the pitching staff in ways that made guys kind of get off schedule and have to do roles they weren't quite ready for like i actually really and this maybe this is just a discussion for the offseason or going into next season but I, i like really like the raw materials on the pitching staff it just feels like a certain number of guys have just been put in positions because of injuries or what have you that they weren't necessarily ready for or just like one spot too high on the pecking order for them that if if they had just been able to be a little bit deeper throughout the year, like I actually like the pieces here, but as it is like they're just being pushed, I think, to a degree that that as a whole, they're just not quite quite up to. I'll be interested
1: to see how the pressure comes into play here. We haven't talked about that in a few super regionals, but you know, you've got a coaching staff in Oregon State led by Mitch Cannon, who played in the College World Series, um, but hasn't, you know, had this kind of opportunity as a coach yet. They uh, were bounced in regionals a year ago. He hasn't coached in a super. Um, at Auburn, you have Butch Thompson, who has Omaha and super regional experience as a head coach. Um, Auburn has some players still from that team that uh made it to Omaha in 2019. Um the the Beavers have completely turned over since 2018. They haven't been to a super regional since. So I I don't know. Like, does the experience, does the pressure matter at all? Like I it's not like Auburn has a ton of experience left over. They are an older team, uh, but it's not like they have a ton of experience in a in a super regional environment. But they have more than Oregon State and I I will be curious to see how that plays if at all this weekend all right let's uh go down to stanford for our last super regional matchup it is stanford it is uconn um the 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 number two overall seed in stanford and uh one of the last uh like i don't even want to call them underdogs but they because they have the third the only tennessee has more wins than they do nationally does uconn but uh, you know, the, if the, if this tournament has a Cinderella story, Joe, it, I, I guess it's UConn.
2: Yeah, I suppose so, you know, um, and the, I guess they're always going to, to be like that. Cause they're just going to play in a conference. That's not going to provide the high quality wins that are going to get people's attention. And
1: imagine playing a sport where the big East doesn't major college major conference.
2: Yeah. It's just like just kind of <laughs> this thing off to the side, you know, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, just that but the crazy always... thing is,
1: I think if both Southern Miss and UConn make it to Omaha, like people are going to treat Southern Miss as maybe more of the outsiders than than UConn, maybe not because of the Northeast thing, but like Southern Miss is going to be like the the small brand that could versus like this team that wins all the basketball titles all the time.
2: No, I think that's exactly right. It's kind of it depends on who you ask because I think if people who know college baseball are going to be like, oh yeah, well Southern Miss, yeah, I mean they win all that they're a good program, they win you know, that they, you know, they're going to, they're going to just be familiar with that. But yeah, I mean, to someone who's casual casual, they're going to look at UConn and go like, well, yeah, of course it makes sense that UConn's good at baseball. Like, you know, they're a big school and they're in a good league because you may not have the context of the fact that big East is, you know, not one of the top leagues in baseball. And yeah, so that is interesting because it really depends on your, your perspective on what the, which, which team would be the, the bigger underdog there. Um, You know, and it's, understandable like I said that they don't the point I was making is UConn doesn't do anything wrong to be the underdogs here it's just like they play in the league they play in you know the scheduling is what it is they have to play on the road and you're not going to get you know when you play as many road series in a row as they do early in the season you're not going to get just like high quality after high quality after high quality series so you're going to have to play some teams that are overmatched and so their schedule kind of is what it is but then they just make it work like somehow they always and this is probably a conversation we should have had a few weeks ago. But like they just kind of always find a way to be at large quality and they always seem to find the way to do it. The years when they really need to win a whole bunch of games and run the table, they do it. The years when they can afford to take a few more losses and place, a more difficult schedule like they do it. They just they figure out the right mix every year. That being said, the pitching talent in particular is very real for UConn um third in the country in ERA obviously you have to understand the competition level there like Tennessee leading the country in ERA versus UConn at three it's it's two different deals but you know they can really come at you especially the first couple days of a weekend when they come at you with with Austin Peterson and then and then Pat Gallagher like that's real stuff that's real competitiveness and you know and Stefanoni on Sundays isn't bad either on third in the third game of a series isn't bad either so the pitching talent is really really real Obviously, we know the Stanford offense is really, really good. The variable here, though, is you've got at least in the opener, you've got a night game at Sunken Diamond, and I think we saw last weekend. You know, they played mostly night games in their home regional. Um, those games weren't as offensive, and that tends to be the way that ballpark plays. And I think there is, if you're, if you're looking for edge cases where UConn can exploit little advantages, it's that you know their pitching I think could be able to do something against the Stanford lineup if. If, you know, Stanford isn't 100% on their A game, if they are on their A game, there's probably nothing UConn pitching can do. But if they're not, when you combine that with the fact that that ballpark's probably going to play a little bit big at night, um, that is a little place where UConn might be able to pick up a little bit of an advantage.
1: Talked about how hot it's going to be in College Station. Um, On Sunday in Stanford, we got a low temperature of 51 degrees
2: pack a little pack a little light jacket or something that sounds (laughs) uh they
1: do play at four o'clock on on sunday so you Mm -hmm. know it'll be it will not be the the saturday night but it's chilly-ish on on saturday night too so yeah pack pack a light jacket if you're if you're headed out there um this yukon team is interesting i have had multiple people tell me that this is among the least talented yukon teams that they've seen jim penders have that's not meant as slight against them in any way. Jim Penders has had some incredibly talented UConn teams. They have George Springer as an alum, for goodness sake. Like that 2011 team had Barnes and Springer and Nick Ahmed and four big leaguers on the team. This super regional team is not that. This super regional team is a bunch of grinders, a bunch of older players, a bunch of good college baseball players. Austin Peterson is. Uh, a real problem on Friday nights. Um, but like Pat Gallagher and Enzo Stefanoni are good pitchers, but they are, not you know, we're not, we're not talking about dudes that are going to go out and get drafted real high. Um, and UConn certainly has had those over the years. Justin Willis is a good arm in the bullpen. Uh, he has 15 saves this year. Clearly he has, uh, confidence at the end of games, but you know, he's, they've had better closers at, at UConn in terms of raw stuff. Um, the, for from a position player standpoint eric stock is a really good player for them and uh you know they matt domlin has has some big moments for them and you know they they have guys like that but again like there aren't there's no george Springer on this team and what they are is they're just they're old they're experienced they don't make mistakes they don't beat themselves they're gonna make you beat them they throw a ton of strikes and um I Stanford is going to have to go out there and beat UConn and not a whole lot of teams have been able to do that this year. Stanford's plenty talented enough to do it, but they are going to have to be the ones that get it done. They are not going to be able to just coast on extra bases or errors or any of the rest of that. This is not some Cinderella three. This is a three seed that, that has won 40 set 49 games. You know, they are, they are who they are and Stanford's going to have to come ready to play.
2: There was my uh, weekly struggle with the mute button. There, um, that, that little <laughs> pause there. Um, yes, I mean, if there's one thing we know about this, is it's is that there's going to be UConn could so clear. Or I'm sorry, Stanford could so clearly outplay UConn this weekend, and yet, at least one of those two games, if it only goes two, at least one of those two games will be close, late, and nervy and tight, and Stanford will have to actually go out and do something to win the game. Like I would be. Incredibly surprised if UConn comes out here and is just flat and doesn't play well and gets just completely run off the field. That would be a surprise to me just because that's just not how they, how they, they do things. You know Um, I think to Jim Penders and that program's credit, I think one of the things they, one of the reasons why they're able to get, you know, basically every team they have at least two. Now they don't get to supers. Obviously I haven't been in in 10 years, but uh, more than that, but is that, but they get to the regional stage and give themselves a chance to advance every year. It's just that they kind of are even keeled and it's not a program that tends to run tight or run hot and, or hot and cold. They just kind of are who they are. And sometimes it's good enough. Sometimes it's not, but you know what you're going to get with them. And and like I said, I I would be incredibly surprised if Stanford doesn't have to work for this. I I think Stanford's a prohibitive favorite here. I I really like their chances, but I, I, they're going to have to come and win games because if they don't, UConn can, can do something here
1: here is my hot take of the the podcast joe you ready for this
2: uh sure let me get i have like an oven mitt somewhere around here let me just in case let me because if i touch my microphone afterwards i'm afraid (laughs) my headphones i guess wouldn't be a microphone be my headphones but yes please go ahead best pitching matchup
1: of the of the weekend austin peterson alex williams that's going to be delicious on saturday night Mm. and like It's the, the reason why I feel like this is a hot take. I mean, like I just picked the big East pitcher against the PAC 12 pitcher of the year. Like that doesn't feel very hot, but like those guys are going to be throwing 90, 91 max out. Like it's, you're going to you're going to see so much bigger stuff at different times over the course of the weekend. Uh, This field is not blessed with a ton of velocity outside of Tennessee, really, but you are going to see bigger stuff in most of these games that one though it's just going to be a, a beautiful beautifully pitched game is what i'm expecting saturday night in stanford
2: i think it's i think it's a good call i'm i'm, I'm here for it like uh, just a a couple of pitchers painting with the stuff that they have
1: already so that is those are super regionals we'll uh we'll have a lot of fun this weekend seeing how they all play out if you haven't checked out all of the the written previews over on the website you still have time to do so well depending on when you're listening to this uh you still have time to do so and uh we'll we'll be back here probably on Tuesday to uh wrap up all the super regional action um if everything wraps up by Monday or you know a- ahead of Monday or maybe there's only one left maybe Joe and I will reevaluate that plan but expect us on Tuesday so make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app apple podcast stitcher spotify wherever you get your podcasts you can find us and hit that subscribe or follow button you can also follow us on twitter i'm at ted cahill joe is at joe healy ba and we'll have plenty of thoughts and analysis throughout the weekend both on our twitter and on BaseballAmerica.com. all right so the next time we talk to you i think we'll have an omaha field and that is very exciting to think about, Joe. Uh, you know, we're we're absolutely getting down to the to the final stretch here. And, and we're happy that you all have uh have joined us on the podcast and hope that you stick with us uh for the next couple of weeks at least as uh as we get through and and figure out a national champion over the next uh next two to three weeks here. Uh so for Joe, I'm Teddy. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time.